This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. So not the ideal start to the week with that 2-0 defeat against Crystal Palace, but I guess if you're going to chuck in a bad performance like that, it's probably worth doing on a weekend where one of your other title rivals also drops points. City are now five points behind the leaders after 10 games, but they did beat Chelsea on their own patch earlier in the season, so it's still very tight at the top of the table. Then there's the Champions League. It might not have been a comfortable first half against Bruges, but it was certainly a comfortable second half. And that 4-1 win, combined with PSG's results in Leipzig, leaves Pep Guardiola's side top of Group A and in need of only one more point to make it into the knockout phase. There's all of that to discuss on this week's Blue Moon podcast, plus the small matter of this season's first Manchester derby on the horizon as well. So let's get to it. I'm David Mooney and this week I'm joined by Manchester football historian Dr Gary James. Hello. Hi. And City fan Anya Hudson. Hello. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, a, a strange week, all told, uh, I think, Gary. The, uh, there's an interesting contrast, I think, between the two games this week. City started badly against Palace, and they were never really able to, uh, to kind of snap out of it. Um, then they started really well against Bruges, slumped into a bit of a malaise at the end of the first half, and then were able to wrestle control with a match back. Um, I, so I guess what I'm getting at, Gary, is what, why do you get that feeling sometimes that City are just going to start badly and get worse? I don't, and, it, and it quite often feels to be against a team like Palace as well. Um, you know, no disrespect to Palace. It's, it's not it's not one of the giants usually. It's quite often a team like Palace where they come to do a job. And, and to be frank, that that early goal sort of set it up, didn't it? And I think, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but we all sort of, you know, sat in the stadium, we all sort of, like, oh, God, it's happened again. It, it, it's one of those sort of things, you know, going back over the generations, if you like, if you concede an early goal, Quite often, as a fan, you think, "Oh, it's one of those days against a team like Palace," and it it certainly felt like that. And I just, it just didn't feel. We we sort of got dragged into some of the negativity about the referee and about the, you know all of that sort of thing that was going on about the goalkeeper and all of that. Um, and I don't know. It was just. I don't like saying, "Oh, it's just one of those days," but in a sense, it it sort of. If you had to predict, you know, which team you're going to have one of those days against, it's likely to be someone like Palace. Yeah, Anya, I guess it's frustrating as well, given that they played so well at Chelsea. They played so well at PSG and lost. And then they played so well at Anfield and not got the result that they probably deserved there. And then you think, right, go on, go and build on it. And then this happens. Yeah, it's just like typical City for me. But that typical City can go one of two ways. You know, we either play amazingly against Chelsea, against Liverpool, and then we'll have a day against the likes of Palace or Southampton where we're really off the mark and it just, we dropped the three points. So, you know, like so many missed chances, so many opportunities that we could have capitalised on that don't go our way. That for me is typical City and a typical City day. And it's absolutely spot on with the typical City thing. We, I know we've sort of talked about this sort of thing in the past and it's something I'm, I'm passionate about that people always think, oh, typical City, it's when we get something wrong. But it is also those moments when you think we don't really expect much and then we just deliver in an incredible way. So, yeah, absolutely spot on there, yeah. Yeah, Anya, how do you describe that feeling? Because that, that, there is a very uh, very clear feeling, isn't there? We all got it at the start of that Palace game. Like, you, There is an uneasy feeling, isn't there, when, when, when they've started badly? It's just one of them as well where you can kind of feel it before the game. If anyone asks me, you know, who supports another team, how do you think City are going to do at the weekend? I am always quite negative, which is, you know, people don't expect it, but it is that typical City feeling where you just sense it's not going to go the way that you want it to, and especially when you get 10 minutes into the match and it hasn't gone the way you want it to. 
Yeah, and then they concede as well. Gary, what what's the what is the reason? Do you think that there's is it simply that Guardiola's team is so well coached and they do everything to like everything is is so planned out that when what they normally do doesn't work, it's like the like the computer it just crashes and then you have to kind of reboot it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, computer says no. Um, I think yeah, I think it's one of those things really, but um, I'm not entirely convinced that. Uh, and I, I include Pep in this, but that some of the greatest managers, uh, greatest European managers, get the nature of the Premier League sometimes. And it's it's only on odd days like that that I sort of feel it, that teams like Palace, you don't really have them that often in you know Spain or Italy or, or, or even Germany. You know, they, those sort of teams that are always going to upset a City or a Liverpool or a Chelsea or, or whatever, they, those teams just do it. It just happens, but it doesn't tend to happen or it doesn't seem to happen as often in other countries. And I think the general structure, whether it's, and it's not just City, but the general structure within clubs sort of expect, well, we're Manchester City or we're Barcelona or we're Real Madrid or whoever we may be. And we really don't expect that team to come here and do that to us and to score an early goal. And, you know, it, I, I don't yeah, know. How, how dare they? <laughs> yeah. It's, and I'm, I'm not saying we've, it's because we think we're superior to them. I just think it's, it's a, a, a peculiar thing to British football or English football in, in many ways. Yes, you get shocks elsewhere, but it just feels like it's something that you can't really coach. You can't say, well, on that day, the Palace fans are going to be up for it. City fans are going to be nervous. Something could happen early on, and then you've got to recover. You know, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's. I'm not a football coach, obviously, so I don't know. But it just feels like there's something that's in general in in the sort of big club mentality. Yeah, and you're, I'm, I'm very wary of um, saying that City bounced back against Bruges because, as I said in the introduction, that that. That first half was not really the team that was bouncing back, but credit where it's due, they did take control of the Bruges game and and kind of uh, and ease their way through the gears to get the to get the win in the end. Um, should we be wary of reading too much into that win because ultimately Bruges aren't Palace and they didn't press City like Palace did. I think especially since we went away and did four one at Bruges already, um, it was it was one of those things that was not expected. But if we hadn't have won, it would have been panic stations pretty much but it was at least a sign that we've definitely like moved on from the little spotty patch we had last week or at least I hope I don't know with the derby coming up but Palace put up a fight um and deservedly won on the day after after a couple of mistakes that we made so Bruges last night was um it was it wasn't you know the best the best performance ever but definitely we moved on yeah, I mean the, the the other thing, Gary Palace, the, the the way they the way they set up against City, they basically they didn't press City in in in, in the, the the kind of high areas for them. They just cut off all the passing options. Bruges weren't doing that. Um, Southampton did that as well, and we saw what happened at the Etihad in that game. I mean, what's the, when when teams are doing that? Is there an answer to that? Oh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, one of the things I was I was thinking this last night when I was watching Bruges, that actually in that second half we just seemed to have an awful lot more space. It, there was there was something in the first half last night. I thought Bruges did did a, a, a reasonable job. I thought they were doing okay, and you know, very nervy and, and so on. From, I was very nervy. I'm saying not they were. I was very nervy about that game. Um, and then in the second half, they did seem to. I don't know. They seemed to hold off a bit more, and and we seemed to get more space. I'm not. I don't know. I mean, you sort of 
we've got the best coaches in the world. We've got the best, you know, tacticians in the world. And we just don't, it just doesn't quite seem to work sometimes. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm able to answer really. You know, yeah. I'd love to answer. I'd love to say that's the answer. But I just don't think I, I, I can. Anya, are you a patient fan? So when, when Bruges were sitting deep and, and City were, were, were playing and playing and playing, getting nowhere, were you, were you like, well, there's still an hour yet, it's okay? Or are you like me biting your fingernails going, I can see tonight being another bad one? Absolutely not. At the end of that first half, I was so frustrated. I was thinking <laughs> if, we don't, if we don't come out and really face up to it in the second half, I will, I will be annoyed. But I think patience is fine and we are a patient team. That's you know how we have to play a lot of the time. But what's frustrating is not capitalising on those chances that we make and missing out on them. So that's the part that really frustrated me. We had quite a few good chances. We were getting around the edge of the box. There was just nothing coming of it. Yeah, let's let, let's talk about individuals then, because um, there's there's a lot of talk about the front three. We're going to get onto the derby and and who should start that a bit later on in the show. Um, but Anya, let's let's start with, with with Jack Grealish because he's getting a lot of criticism from what I can tell online. Maybe that's just me living too much online. I don't know. Um, but you know, he keeps getting picked, so he he must be doing something right in the eyes of Guardiola. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say recently within the past week that he's been played in the wrong position and I think there probably is something in that. He's just played on that left wing and I think we've seen, especially last night, Phil is probably maybe the better option at this moment in time there. So whether Jack could go into midfield, go a bit deeper and then there was a a particular pass forward that he made last night that was really good from that sort of position Um, and that was like a glimpse of what could be. I think... Pep's obviously pretty happy with him to keep playing him and he's obviously seen something that, I mean, to be fair, Grealish's chances that he creates, he's one of the highest chance creators in the team. So he's not doing a bad job. I do think there is a lot of additional slack coming from here, there and everywhere. Yeah, there's a danger, isn't there, Gary, sometimes that we look at players like Grealish and go, well, he's not scoring, he's not assisting, he's not doing anything, when actually he is doing things, but we don't yeah. we don't notice it in the numbers. Yeah, I think I think what Andy said is absolutely spot on. Again, you know, it's one of those things, really, that Grealish, because of the money, we've allowed ourselves to sort of start questioning him a bit more. And, and I don't I don't like that. You know, I heard a guy last, last night, um, saying, talking about his price tag, right? just moaning about his price tag. The player has nothing to do with that. The player, you know, the player could be sold for 100 million, 500 million, or 50 quid. It, it doesn't matter really. Um, what is what the manager wants, what we want as fans, and what he delivers. And yeah, he's, you know, if you compare a 100 million pound player with another 100 million pound player, you're going to spot weaknesses, you're going to spot things they're not doing, things you, you think they should be doing. But I do think that he's certainly doing enough to warrant that position. I think he's doing enough to, uh, you know, he's like you said, he's 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 doing most, he's setting up those chances. He's, he's he's he is doing it. I think what we all, well, what a lot of fans wanted was this world beater who was going to completely be our star man in every game. And you know, we 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 sort of because we lost, you know, in the last few years we've lost some real legends, haven't we? Let's face it, we wanted a new legend to appear and. It takes time. You know, every one of our legends took some time. And I think Grealish could develop into being a true legend, but he needs that time. Yeah. Um, let's talk Raheem Sterling as well, Anya. He came off the bench uh, against Bruges. He came off the bench on the right, uh, and he looked like an entirely new player to the one that that City have been seeing for the last 18 months or so. Uh, Mike Cook on Twitter said, um, kind of immediately after the game, 
Uh, Sterling back on the right and shades of 17, 18, back post tap in and then uh, sent a grinning emoji. And it, it is, it, it, it was, okay, it was only 20 minutes, but it was it was refreshing to see the player that, that you know, we used to see, wasn't it, Anya? Yeah, so buzzing for him last night. Um, when the cross did come in from Gundogan, I was like, there is a world that this goes over the bar and he completely misses it. And I really hope this isn't that world. <laughs> but, you know, he got the tap in. It was a perfect goal for him to get to get back onto, well, hopefully to get back into form. And he was making some really lovely pacey runs on the right, really getting in behind those defenders. That's the Raheem that we all want to see. So I think him on that right is very potentially a good option going ahead. Yeah, the the story today, Gary, is that um, it, it's it's not about his contract and it's not about um, his future at City that he's that he slipped out of the team. It's just that the that the team has evolved a bit and his place in it is a lot more uncertain than it used to be. Um, and you can kind of get that sense, can't you? Well, and, and to be frank, I like that as a fan because you want the team to keep on evolving. Um, we're not obviously we're not sort of hitting the form we did a couple of years ago when we, you know, when we we tore apart the league and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I think we've we've Sterling. So much, he's had so much attention over the last few years. Well, ever since he arrived, really, he has so much attention, and people have been quick to point his negatives. And I think that has gradually sort of fed its way into the sort of fan base. And and quite a lot of people spot every single time when he misses or he doesn't, or when you know last night's goal was perfect because a, a tap in was just hopefully enough to get his confidence back and to make sure that we all sort of the pressure comes off a little bit because. You must feel that pressure. I mean, we all know what it's like if if you make a mistake and you hear that groan and 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 so on. And when you miss an absolute sitter, which you know, let's face it, has happened at times, um, it's going to affect you, and it's going to keep on affecting you. Then the media will keep on portraying these sort of negative stories. So I was delighted last night that he, he seemed to do enough, more than enough, really. Um, and of course, he got that goal. So yeah. Yeah, and the other the other one, Gary, is uh, Gabriel Jesus. He said he wants to play right wing more often. Um, he he played centre forward and he scored, and it makes me wonder. Actually, is you know all this talk of City needing a striker is the answer actually there? The 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 guy who is actually wearing number nine on his back right now. Yeah, and and the the bottom line is, you know, it doesn't matter where he wants to play. Where's he best? And and if he's playing as a centre forward, is best for for us, and and he's doing it, then fine. I, you know, again, it's another one of those things. We've all been talked into this. We haven't got centre forward, but we have got centre forwards. You know, we have got players or players who can play as a centre forward. Um, for whatever reason, Pep's chosen to play the way Pep's chosen to play. And last night, yeah, Jesus did enough easily enough. Today, there are lots of small business owners who are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free as well. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs and reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK. You can focus on the skills and experience that you need in candidates, and you can use screening questions to make sure your role is seen by the people most qualified for it. And the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs can quickly filter and prioritise who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster, and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash blue. Again, that's linkedin.com slash blue, B-L-U-E, to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
there's always Phil Foden as well, Anya, who, um, I mean, we're, we're talking about the front three, and this is the fourth player we're talking about now. Um, he stretches the pitch so well when he plays wide left. Um, I, I find him really weird because I, he's one of the few players that I can genuinely say I don't know where he's best because he's just so good whenever he's on the pitch. Yeah, I would say I'd probably enjoy watching him most on that left, um, and especially against teams that, you know, set up to defend. He's so important making that space, creating that space and using it. Um, and he's just enjoy. I mean, we all love watching Phil anyway, but he's really enjoyable on that left. Yeah. Uh, what about for you, Gary? Where 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 do you like to see Foden playing? Oh, I mean, it's a it's a tricky one because I, yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced that I, I know his, his his best position. I'm not convinced I know where he should be because you know he did do a great job on on, on the left, and I just I think we we're blessed with a player who, and he's still developing. He really is still developing, but he's a player who really could fill a number of gaps, and because of the way. Uh, I want to say again, oh, he should always be on the left. He should always do this. He should always do that. But I think I love the element of surprise sometimes where we don't know where he's actually going to be. I love that. So, yeah, I think Phil Foden, he can do no wrong for me at the moment. Um, play him in goal if, you know, if, 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 we, if we feel we should do. I'd just do it. I love the fact that obviously, you know, a local player, local hero always makes sense. But um, I, just, I just love Phil Foden. He can do anything. Yeah, and finally of the names, uh, Anya, Riyad Mahrez, he he gets a lot of criticism. But again, I think rather quietly, he's had quite a, quite a good season so far, hasn't he, even if he's not been that involved? I really think Mahrez is very good in his position on that right. And I feel like he doesn't get his flowers for being so consistent, especially last season where in the Champions League, he was probably my standout player, um, one of the most important players in getting us to the final. So... I'd, yeah, I don't, I don't quite agree with like any criticism he gets. Obviously, everyone has their days, but I, I, it's a shame that he can't get that run in the team, whereas other players might might have that position locked down. Mares never seems to be able to do it. Yeah, the the question though I've got for you, Anya, is if we want to see Sterling on the right and Mares wants to be on the right, cutting inside, who who do you pick? Yeah, that's a tough one. I would for this week. <laughs> I would for this weekend say Sterling. I would like. I'm, I'm going to say that I would like to see him there on that right. But again, that's Mares isn't getting that run that of of matches that he probably deserves. I think I'd go for. I think I'd go for Mares on that one. And it's it's only because I I do think he's not had the opportunities that perhaps he should have. But I just think against United, I think we'll get more out of Mares. I think there's more he can deliver. Um, Sterling, I'm still not 100%. And, I, and before I said I don't want to criticise players particularly, but you know, I think Mahrez has, has got more about him against United. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I said before that um, we, we shouldn't read too much into the, the Bruges game, but I'm going to go and contradict myself now because um, Anya, Emmerich Laporte, he took a lot of flack for the, uh, for the result against Palace with the opening goal. He made the mistake that um, let, let Palace in and then obviously just before half-time gets himself sent off. Um, did he redeem himself against Bruges? Because I thought, I, I thought again, quietly, he had quite a good game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I really wasn't thrilled to see him in that starting lineup. I was so excited for the return of Stones and Diaz. Like, that was all I wanted before the weekend, especially. Um, but yeah, the, I can't complain about Laporte's performance against Bruges. It was, it was a Laporte performance where he was pretty good, pretty faultless. Um, but yeah, like I say, I would have loved to have seen Stones and Diaz. 
Yeah, Gary, the uh, the red card. Um, should he? I know. I know it's a. I know it's a very difficult decision, right on the stroke of half time. Should he just let uh, let Zaha run through? There's obviously the yes. risk that it, that he makes it two nil, but Edison could save it, and. Yeah. It's still 11 v 11 after half time. Yeah, and the player can miss, you know, even with an open there, anything can happen. I, but I, I sort of think, did, did that happen because of the goal and Laporte's role in that, if you like? Is it in his head? Is, it, is that something? And so I've let us down once, you know, I can't let us down again. So he thinks, I've got to stop this player and he then lets us down again by stopping the player. But I think it's in his head and it's so frustrating that it happens so close to half-time because you do think, yeah, even if you go in 2-0 down, you know, city, city, we, could, we should be able to beat any of the any team really with the players we've got. We should be able to do that. So two, two goals down, we can come back fighting and so on. Um, but I, I sort of think it got into his head. And that's why it happened. And I also think, you know, I know a lot of us on the day were moaning about VAR and moaning about inconsistencies and so on. And it really is frustrating that you can have a very similar incident on the same day in another game and it's a yellow card and that's it. So I think, you know, I don't want to go on about VAR, but they're the sorts of things that should be consistent. And I'm not saying it wasn't a sending off. It was a sending off if you follow the rules, last man and all that sort of stuff. But... It's just, it's just, we're just, just unlucky because it, if it was a different referee, he may have, you know, been warned. He may have got booking. He may have done this. Who knows? But yeah, I think he should have let him go. I think it should have. I think he should. We should have had a chance to say, let's see if Edison can save this. See if uh, misses or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, final thing for the the first part of the show, Anya. Um, Kevin De Bruyne. He. He looks like he's playing. I, I don't know if this is a weird thing to say, but it, it, it looks like he's playing like everything's a bit cloudy at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I was thinking about this earlier, and at the minute, sometimes I forget that Kevin's on the pitch, which is obviously, you know, it's Kevin De Bruyne. You don't do that. He is a brilliant player, but there's not been a moment for a while where it's been a typical moment of Kevin De Bruyne brilliance, and that is exactly that. He's playing in a fog, or like his head's a bit cloudy. He's not quite there. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Gary, have a listen to this. Uh, this is De Bruyne speaking a few weeks ago um, before the away game in Bruges. Uh, he was asked about the Champions League final, and this is what he said about uh, about the day. I remember some chances. Well, there were not a lot, but I remember some chances in the first half and the goal. Uh, but after the collision, I don't remember a lot. I don't remember how I got into the hospital the night itself. Uh, I remember going back in the morning to the team hotel and like 10 a.m. in the morning still I'm at a city kit on. That's what I remember. So <laughs> for the rest, it is what it is. You know, it's it's sport. It happens, you know. Uh, it's not the best thing that ever happens, obviously. But, you know, you go on with it. It is what it is. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Now, I'm, I'm not a doctor, um, and I, I, I've never, genuinely never been concussed, so I don't know what it's like. Um, but the, it, it does sound like there's a hangover still from, from the end of May, doesn't there? Yes, I, I, I think a, a, a medical doctor would um, say, well, you know, you can't, you, you need some time. You need to get through that. Uh, something as serious as that on the, on, the, on the night and for him to say that he can't remember all these things. That's still got to be there. That's still got to be impacting him in some way. So I would say he needs to... I don't want him to rest because I want to see him play. I want to see him perform and so on. But 
maybe he does need to rest for a, a, a quite some time just to get everything back to normal because it's got to be affecting him still. It's got to be. Yeah, and then on top of all of that, Anya, um, he went he went away with Belgium into the Euros. Um, had a got himself an ankle injury, and then uh, this was this was his quote from the last international break. Uh, he said, "I played against Italy with two injections. If I'd known beforehand what my ankle would have been like afterwards, I would not have played." Um, it, it just it just screams of somebody who is being played beyond their limits right now, doesn't it? Yeah, that was pretty good into here. Um, the fact that maybe if he hadn't gone to the Euros and had that rest during the summer, he would have come back absolutely fine is obviously annoying as a City fan, but he would have wanted to go to the Euros. I think we all know that. Um, but he's still got that hangover, and that's the thing. How do we get past that? How do we make him back into the Kevin De Bruyne that we all know and love? Yeah, I mean, Gary's just said there, Anya, that um, you know he wants to see him play. What? I mean, I'm I'm putting you in the shoes of Guardiola now, but if you were Guardiola, what what would you do? Would you play him through this this period, or would you kind of take him out, let him let him go away to you know a hot country and and spend a fortnight on a sun lounger, just resting and recuperating? Yeah, exactly. Guardiola knows him best, so he knows whether it's best to give him that break or to play him into form. It comes down to the player, it comes down to the manager's decision as well. So what he's going to do is going to be interesting. I don't think any of us want Kevin to have a break particularly, but if that's what it's going to take, maybe that's what it's going to take. I was just thinking about those injections, you know. Um, I know you've interviewed a lot of uh, former players and I've I've done that. And quite often if you talk to players from the 70s, 80s, 90s and, and so on, it's those injections time and time again to to when you're recovering from an injury when you you've got uh, you know an ankle problem whatever that do the long-term damage and i'd have i'd have assumed that an international um fixture now you wouldn't routinely just inject somebody to try and get them get them through the game basically i'd have assumed they wouldn't do that and it's a bit worrying because you know players i mean there's, there's been far too many of them in our own history um i've been routinely sort of jabbed routinely pushed forward routinely brought back before we should do and it's it's had a detrimental effect on their career and I really hope that's not the case with with Kevin I hope that you know he's he's absolutely fully fit in every way possible and that everything's fine but when he's his own national team are just routinely injecting him I, I don't like that yeah, well, uh, we'll see whether he plays in uh, this weekend's Manchester derby because it's now time to look ahead to that game. Um, if City have been blowing hot and cold in the last week or so, then the same could be said of United's last couple of seasons. The unfortunate thing for City is that they keep seeming to turn it on when up against Guardiola's side. To get more of an insight into what to expect from them this weekend, I've been speaking to Tyrone Marshall, senior football writer at the Manchester Evening News, who's been covering the Reds this season. Always under Solskjaer, it's felt like a really hard team to predict, but this year it's just gone to, to the next level, really. Um, they are they just lurch from one extreme to the other I think generally this season you have to say they've been playing pretty poorly um, I think they've been they've been far more underwhelming than they have been impressive they've picked up the odd crucial win obviously the game at Tottenham was, was a decent win against the very poor side and there's been you know there's been a few there's been a few amazing moments the big wins over Leeds and Newcastle and Ronaldo's return the, the last the late winners against Villarreal and Atalanta but Generally, they've been underwhelming. They've been tactically poor. They look a team that's that's not um, that's nowhere near the sum of their parts. Really, there it feels like a bit of a cliche with Solskjaer's team at the moment. But they are heavily reliant on individuals. They're not they're not really cohesive at the moment. And I think they're you'd probably say I guess they're a work in progress, but they shouldn't be because they've got a lot of world class players. They spent a hell of a lot of money, and 
really they should be beyond work in progress now. They they should be the finished article. Yeah, I, how how do you expect him to set up against uh, against Pep and City? Just I, 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 the reason I ask is is that there was an interesting quote from him after the Liverpool battering, where he said he had a duty to attack, and yet when I think of the times that he's beaten City, it's it's always been that he hasn't attacked them. He's 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 let City have the ball and, and then countered City. Yeah, I mean it's a difficult one to be honest. I think. And, you know, I'm not trying to make myself out as the next Man United manager here, but the three at the back he went to against Tottenham, I was calling for the week before, and I think it looks the most obvious system at the moment. And against against Tottenham, they were far, far better tactically in that before two three one they've played all season. The gaps between defence and midfield and midfield and attack are massive. They're far too easy to play against, far too open. Against Tottenham, a lot of that was fixed. They were a lot more patient on the ball. There was more control. They were better defensively. But I think that system works because of Varane and now obviously he's lost Varane. So it would be, I think Lindelof's, Lindelof picked up an injury on Monday. I don't think it's serious, but whether it'll be fit or not, I'm not sure. I don't know if he'd play three at the back with Lindelof by Ian Maguire. So it's it's hard to know. And I think it, it, the duty to attack thing is interesting because they've signed an, an awful lot of an attack, attackers. They signed Ronaldo in the summer, they signed Sancho in the summer. And the the four two three one gives them four attacking positions, whereas if you go to three at the back, there's only three. But it's kind of got to get results to save his job now, really. So I think going more defensive, and you know, it's it's not that defensive. I mean, it, it's a balance, I guess, of seven defensive minded players and three attackers. But Chelsea play that. United's problem is they've got so many attackers, and if they play that three at the back, they play it without wingers, and they've just spent seventy four million pounds on a winger they've wanted for two years. So. I think it's with the Varane injury. I think he might set up attacking, but I think that that might be his downfall as well. Yeah, I mean the, the other side of this is, um, I, I mean, come up when whether United win or not, you'd expect City to have a, a fair chunk of the ball at Old Trafford. Um, there's been talk of, of United not being very good at, at the pressure side of things. Now, when when City tend to to struggle, is is when they can't get that pass out from the centre backs into the into the holding midfielder for most of the season has been Rodri. Um, how are United? How will United try and try and stop that? Will they be any good at, at trying to press City in that situation? Uh, generally, no. I would say they they were better at it with the, the three five two at Tottenham, partly because Cavani played up front. And I mean, Ronaldo doesn't press. Cavani's two years younger and doesn't stop pressing. He's he's absolutely relentless. So I think if if he plays that system and plays Cavani up there, it'll be better. With Ronaldo as the, the figurehead in a four two three one, they've really struggled in getting the pressing right, in knowing who does what. And they've been far, far too easy to play against. When they lost at Leicester, um, Brendan Rodgers was asked in his post-match press conference kind of how they'd been able to, to beat United in the tactical side of things. And he's, he talked about that the central players weren't putting pressure on Leicester and that they could be patient, they could take their time to to basically work it around at the back, to find the pass into midfield. And it was a theme that they did just pass through United too easily, that Tielemans was getting the ball in good position to, to Madison, passing through the lines really, really easily. And if, if they give City that kind of freedom to do that, then you know it could be it could be pretty grim for United. But when they've when they've played that kind of route Ronaldo up front, they've they've really struggled to work out how to press and who should be pressing and they've they've looked I said a couple of weeks ago that in that system, the press has looked poorly coached and poorly executed, really. So that I think that will be a major concern for them at the weekend. 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously, um, we've just had the pandemic uh, having shut stadiums for across the country for, for a, a good 18 months or so. Um, the fans are back in at Old Trafford. What's the what's what what's the atmosphere like at the moment? When because obviously United sometimes good, sometimes not good. What how are the fans feeling about it? Um, I think I mean first of all, after the atmosphere at Old Trafford this season has been excellent. Really, in in pretty much every game, it's been really really good. A lot better than recent years. Um, they've introduced kind of a singing section, the Red Army singing section above the the tunnel in the corner of the Stratford end, and they've made a real difference to the atmosphere. I mean, the atmosphere on Derby Day. Is is always electric, so you know that's probably not going to make a huge difference. But even in low key games this year, they they have made a difference, and the atmosphere has been much improved. And generally, the fans, I mean, the the match goers at United, uh, I would say privately they've they've got their doubts and their concerns about Solskjaer, but you know it, it never spills over on on a match day. And this is a fan base that really still backs. You know, there was never any calls for Moyes to be sacked, really, or Van Hal and. They're certainly not going to turn against Solskjaer. And it was noticeable in, on um, at Tottenham and at Atalanta that they were singing for Solskjaer. They were singing Solskjaer's songs. So privately, they might have doubts, but I think they remain very much behind the team and the manager in the ground. And I think that will undoubtedly be the case on, on Saturday. Yeah. So uh, how do you see this one going then? Uh, what's your uh, what's your score prediction for this game? We've got charity back coming up later on. So uh, <laughs> let, let's give you the chance to win some money. God, it's just so, so difficult. Predicting United scores these days is a, a surefire way to lose money. They've been so unpredictable. They do have a great record against City and it it does still feel like this game is going to be defining for Solskjaer with the international break coming up. And I can see him... I don't know. I mean, none of the three results would surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if City won 4-0 or 5-0. But I just think United, they can't be as bad as against Liverpool again. I think they'll be a bit more cautious and may maybe a one-one. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Tyrone Marshall from the Manchester Evening News. Um, and you, th- this is a this is a tricky game. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as far as I can tell, looking from the outside in, it's just not a very good manager. And yet, mm-hmm. here we are. He keeps beating Pep. Why? Why does that happen? <laughs> I have this hunch that I've developed because obviously it is a freak occurrence of nature that he keeps managing to beat Pep. That Pep doesn't quite... I think when he respects a manager, he really tries against them and he really tries to beat them. But obviously when he doesn't respect a manager and that goes the other way, he just rolls over a little bit. I don't know. This is what I'm thinking. This is the only way I can make sense of it in my head, that he doesn't try. I don't want to say he doesn't try as hard against United, but maybe maybe that's something there. Yeah, Gary, this is this is Guardiola's record against Solskjaer. Uh, brace yourself. It's played eight, won three, drawn one, lost four. I don't understand how that happens. <sighs> well, it's because it's their big game. You know, I know <laughs> it, it, that's what it is. It's, it's a derby, isn't it? So, you know... We don't, and I'm taking. I'm, I'm, I'm saying we meaning the club in general. I'm not meaning fans. I mean the club in general. Do not see Manchester United in the same way as we did in the 1980s, 90s, 2000s. You know, and I, I think we go there and Pep sort of 
if if we were playing Liverpool and okay, our record against Liverpool is not necessarily the best, is it? But it's probably play, a lot worse to be uh, honest. Yeah. But if we <laughs> if we're play if we're playing Liverpool, Pep sort of, and it maybe is about rating the manager, but Pep is is there, um, fired up in whatever way, and 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 seems to be more. I don't know, more prepared for a, 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 a tough game. Against United, I'm not certain that's that's quite the same, but they also raised their game. And and for Solskjaer, Solskjaer sort of, you know, his, his involvement with United is such that he does understand the significance of the Manchester derby and he does understand the significance of, of losing that. And he, I don't know, maybe just sets, sets everything up in a better way. It is worrying, but I'm not... I'm not unduly worried about United. Maybe I should. Maybe I'm like Pep. Maybe I, he's not unduly worried about United. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it is worrying a little bit. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's not a game that's as big as the Bruges one, so um, that's uh, <laughs> that, that, that's all we can say about that. I mean, Anya, the, here's the good news: um, all three of Guardiola's wins against Solskjaer have been at Old Trafford, so that's a, that's a positive a positive look. At Old Trafford, Guardiola against Solskjaer, he's played five, won three, drawn one, lost one. So. Uh, they, is there something about the away game that, that that makes this a bit easier? United come to City and win. City go to United and win. So uh, I, I can't put my finger on why it would be, but is there something about playing at Old Trafford that sort of takes the pressure off a bit? That's definitely a more optimistic way to look at it. Like That makes me more <laughs> positive about the weekend. Um, yeah, I feel like going to Old Trafford and getting up for the match and the pressure that's on to go there and perform is probably of a, a different matter when you're at home. So hopefully that's something that the players will feel, that the manager does feel. Um, and winning away there is obviously something that they'll they'll want to do. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about um going there given the recent performances? So, you know, take Bruges out of the equation, you've got Palace and West Ham, and it's that you know, they City have looked a bit flat in those games. United have looked either fantastic or flat all season. Um how do you feel with that context? Yeah, I mean, I feel like our performances probably aren't as spotty as I feel like they have been. Um, but it's again, it's not that bulldozing kind of form that we had 18-19. Um, I don't know how this weekend's going to go. I feel like an Ollie that's on the verge of losing his job is just, just it's just written in the stars that he will beat us. Um, also, don't didn't they give him three games to keep his job? Is that is he past that now? Is he like out of the out of the woods? This is, pro- this, this is probably the third one, knowing us, because that's what happens, isn't it? <laughs> Gary, 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 you know this from, from years and years of following City. When, when a team needs a win, City come to town. That's how it happens, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. But I also know it's Derby Day and anything can happen. And, and one of the things, you know, people... I've, I heard somebody on, I think it might be Radio 5 Live the other night, going on about Ronaldo. Oh, Ronaldo will be the difference in the Derby. And when I was thinking back, well, Ronaldo, I don't... and. I know I'm biased, but I don't remember Ronaldo having a particularly good game ever against City. Um, so then I just checked before, when he played for United, he scored three goals, but one was a penalty. One was in a 3-1 that didn't really mean anything, and then one was in a, another game that unfortunately did mean something. Um, but I remember that game at Old Trafford, the 50th anniversary of the Munich Air disaster, and, and we're there and uh, we won. And Ronaldo was on the touchline having you can only describe it as like a hissy fit or something it was it was one of those sort of moments where it was a, ta- a proper tantrum like a kid's tram- tantrum because he ju- it just wasn't going the way he thought it was going to go and that's for Ronaldo I want to see this weekend really I want to see the one that is on the uh, on the sides virtually doing nothing and City are just 
back in control. And and he was playing against City in those days when it was before the money. It was before mostly before money, but it was before we'd actually propelled ourselves forward to the level we're at now. So I actually think it's Derby Day. Forget someone like Ronaldo. They they'll think he's going to do everything for them. And on the day, we'll just we'll have him in our pocket and we'll just do it. Fingers crossed. I mean, if there's any players that could have him uh, in their pockets, and it's got to be Diaz and Stones, hasn't it? That's uh, that, that that's the de- defensive partnership you wanted to see on Wednesday. Well, with Laporte suspended, we'll probably see that on Saturday. Absolutely. This is exactly what I wanted, and that's why I wanted against the Bruges game them two to have a game together because they haven't actually started yet together this season. Um, but you know what what we saw from them last season in the Champions League, they can keep the best of the best quiet. And I actually thought that this would be the weekend where Laporte's last season, Laporte had his little mistake, tumble against Spurs when we were away to them. They beat us 2-0. I thought it was going to go the same, like the season was going to replay itself. Stones would get, his, would get his spot back next to Diaz. And we would go on from there and it would be this sort of parallel where our form, where our fortunes really change. So it would be lovely now this weekend if the derby was that game where our fortunes change, Stones and Diaz come in. I think we play completely differently with Stones in the team in a really, really good way. And I would like to see that happen on Saturday. Yeah. Um, Gary, I'm going to I'm gonna throw you a right question now because uh, Cancelo looked like he needed a bit of a rest after the Palace game. There were so many times when, when I found him so frustrating in that game. <laughs> um, and then the Bruges game comes along. He pops up with three assists. Uh, Zinchenko is back and, and he could be available. There's, there's so much to this dynamic because Zinchenko as a left footer on the left will stretch the, will stretch the pitch, which is entirely what City want. Um, but if Cancelo's back on form, there's nobody like him. So what, what would you do? Oh, I don't know, but I, I, well, no, I think I do know. I think I'd go with Sinchenko, you know, because yes, you're right, you're right about um, Cancelo and the way things changed and 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 last night, but uh, against Bruges, but um, I think Zinchenko is going to would would stretch them a bit more, and I also think I don't know, I just I just think that in some ways it probably. It feels like it might mean a bit more to Zinchenko. I think he'd be more up for the challenge a bit more. And I, I just, I, I with with Zinchenko, I was I was pleased to see him last night uh, against Bruges, and I was pleased that we did those substitutions, and I was pleased that um, we sort of didn't just. I mean, we we sort of rested a, a few players in the end by doing the substitutions of that, but also I think we sort of puzzled United a bit. I don't think they know who we're going to play on that weekend. And, you know, as a, as a fan, I don't really know who we're going to play either. But uh, I think I would prefer Zinchenko. Yeah, well, let's talk uh, the front three, Anya, because we uh, we were talking through possible options before. You were you were very much in favour of Raheem Sterling on the right. Uh, what, who else would you pick in that in that front three? Would you, would you start how City finished on Wednesday night? Yeah, I think I would go Foden on the left. Jesus through the middle, Sterling on the right. I don't know why, it's just a feeling I'm getting before Saturday. I think it might be quite a surprise, a nice surprise. But again, if we had Mars on the right, if you have Grealish on the left, it could, you know, that's not a bad option either. We're really blessed in that way that a lot of the options we have look look positive. Yeah, I'm, the, the, what I'm guessing from you, Gary, though, is if he plays Zinchenko and has that left footer there... He could have his inverted wingers a bit higher up, could he? So you could have Mares on the on the right, and uh, well, I mean, it's been it's been still folding on the left, stretching it out. But so you could have Grealish there as well, I guess. 
Yeah, possibly. Uh, I mean, I said earlier, I'd, I'd probably play Mares instead of Sterling. Um, and I think with Mares, one, one of the things I, I sort of liked, but was also equally frustrating, when Mares first joined us, and, and last season especially as well, um, he was he was sort of full of confidence and, and greedy in a sense, but greedy in a good way in that if he had the ball, he was going to go and have a shot. He was going to go and do something. He was going to take a man on. He was going to do this and, and so on. And that's what I like about Mares. So that's why I think I'd like him, whereas... Again, with, with Sterling, I think there's just too much, uh, a bit more wasteful. That, that's just, I'll be polite, mm-hmm. that's how I'm going to say that. But with Mares, I think he's going to take a man on. He's going to do something and he's going to get there. And he's, uh, you know, agreed in a positive way. Yeah, um, I've just you, you reminded me as well before, Gary, when you talked about the the biggest day of the season sort of thing. And yeah, I'm scared of the answer to this question. Uh, but do you remember a time where um, the highlight of City's season was beating United? Well, the first derby I probably properly remember is the six-one. So that says a lot. I think that hurts Since me. Then. That really hurts me. <laughs> Yeah, since then our fortunes have changed a lot and I'm well aware of that. But yeah, I've, I've not seen the dark days where in the early 2000s or whatever, where it was really, really dire. Oh, but do you know what? I, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously that ages you, David, but it ages me even more. But, <laughs> but, but, but in some ways, you've also, and you've also missed out on those absolutely fantastic days when we yeah. did beat United, you know, at the, for me, when the five-one going way back, you know, to eighty-nine, and and um, the first few derbies at the Etihad where we absolutely tore into him, the four-one, and so on. Um, on those days when all the odds are against you and you think you're not going to achieve anything, and everyone's laughing at Little City, and we're the team that are never going to do anything, and then we do it. And those yeah. days were some of the most magical days. Nothing like winning the league or the FA Cup or even the League Cup, but magical, magical one-off games. Superb. I just, I just think it's ironic that uh, we used to, we used to get ribbed for that being the highlight of our season, and that is literally the highlight of United's season now beating City. It's just, uh, it's, it's funny how things turn around, isn't it? That's. Uh... That's all. Yeah. Um, now, there's uh, there's an old saying, if you want a job doing properly, do it yourself. So that's what I did on last week's show. After a few weeks without any wins on the charity bet, it was my correct 4-1 prediction against Bruges that added £160 to the pot. Although another phrase does come to mind, uh, you don't have to be good if you're lucky. That's That's been said about me playing football before. So, uh, so there we go. Um, anyway, that takes us up to £530 raised for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping the Trussell Trust, who look after people living in food poverty. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single and it's the Manchester derby to have a guess at now. Uh, we heard earlier from Tyrone that he's gone for a one-all draw in this game. That's 13-2 to two and £65 if he's right. Uh, Gary, what are you having for this one? I think we're going to win and I think it's, it's going to be 2-1. I think, uh, despite what I said earlier about Ronaldo, I think he'll somehow sneak one in or hit his knee or something and just go in. But I think, um, yeah, we're going to win 2-1. 2-1 City is 15-2 to two and £75 if you're right. Anya, what have you got for this one? I want that clean sheet. Like that's what I want, and I want. I think if we get that and we score, it'll be two nil. So that's what I'm hoping for. Excellent. Uh, a good solid two nil is nine to one and ninety pounds if you're right. Uh, remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, City might be out of this season's Carabao Cup, but earlier in the competition, there was a terrific night for the City Academy. I've been speaking to our Academy expert, Sean Blinkhorn, about some of the players to watch in the aftermath of some more youngsters getting first-team debuts. Well, following on from the Wickham Carabao Cup game, 
it was a great night for the academy. Obviously, there was there was what six debuts. Uh, Foden played, and Palmer got his first goal. Uh, I mean, you you can't spin that other any any other way than a fantastic uh, day for the academy. A couple of surprises, obviously, but complete a complete academy back four with no experience prior to that was quite a shock. Not just not just from Guardiola, but quite a shock to see in general. Not so shocking to see some of the talent like uh, Romeo Lavia and Luke and Beatty and in general, and um, obviously Palmer and the much hyped by me, James McAtee off the bench, yeah. even at left back, which that bloke sometimes. It's the Phil Foden um, route, mate. It's the uh, Phil Foden route. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep I'll keep telling myself that, shall I? <laughs> um, I wanted to I wanted to kind of move on from that and give a few names as to who's next basically so i'm going to i'm going to throw a couple of names out um a couple of younger names and then a second year who i think has really kicked on uh the first one being nico o'reilly a, a bit of an admission on this on my part my own kind of mental profile of nico is a little weak at the moment he's um he's a scholar Who's, who's already playing up for the under-23s and he's playing for England age group, uh, under-17s, off memory. Um, he's he's kind of like a... He's one of those newer forwards who plays anywhere along the front line, even you know, up, up top in the centre. Um, uh, he's a g- very gifted left-footed forward. The ones... The, you, the, the sort of player that confuses us who were brought up on four four two. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm very much in the camp of, even though I've tried in recent years, very hard to move away from that sort of <laughs> that way of thinking. Like, um, yeah, so like I say, I've seen some flashes in games. More, I'd say more for England than I have for 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 City so far. My kind of initial thoughts of him are that he can he can be a little shrouded by his own on his kind of selflessness, in that he. Uh, he's, he's such a good team player. He, he seems to be ninety nine percent link up play, and he's very good at it. Um, so that's that's going to be, you know, that's a developing one to to look for for now. Uh, and again, moving on to the next next lad I'd like to talk to about today, uh, kind of in the similar mode, uh, young Rico Lewis, R- Rico and Nico, Rico and Nico, exactly. <laughs> um, no, Rico, that's our Rico. He is a he's kind of like a similar to. If you watched the the Wickham game, you'd have seen CJ Egan Riley uh, starting on the right, moving into midfield as as you'd expect with City, I suppose. But um, at the right back, this is sorry. And Rico is a very similar sort of player, maybe more agile, a bit more dynamic, a bit more flair to him than than CJ. So whether he'll stay as a as a right back defensive midfielder I don't know but he's also a scholar this year started to play up to the under 23s the first thing I got to see him do this year was drop a shoulder uh, steal the ball drop a shoulder but do a step over and smash one in against United so he's, he's endeared himself to me already um, <laughs> was that like in person say, did you say that in person <laughs> no unfortunately not no no I didn't um, so yeah he's you know, like I say ex- extremely agile very versatile player I've already seen him start to play at uh, play the inverted role at left back uh, in the higher age groups under 19s I think I've seen him play that already he's like oh, obviously straight away looks a kind of player that I'm picking out to to, uh, to watch a bit more of like I say the same with Nico uh, early days yet yeah. so that brings me then on basically 
onto who uh, had, had prompted this this sort of discussion when I texted yourself during the week. I wanted to talk about Micah Hamilton. Now he he's a second year at the moment, so you know he signed his scholarship over a year ago now. He came through the academy as kind of um, like a skillful inside forward uh, left winger or slash number ten. He'd, he'd play those sort of roles. Uh, you know, really skillful, lots of lots of trickery and cut inside, you know, shoot and pass. But more recently, I've been really impressed with his uh, his promise as a central midfielder. In academy level, the central midfielders are often difficult to come by in terms of even, even Tommy Doyle used to disappear from games, you know, on occasions last year. Um, and he's not really up... <sighs> I mean, he's moved on to Hamburg and, you know, he's, he's, he seems to have started life really well there. Um, Micah, for, for an average size lad, he, he can shield the ball really well. He's, he's so strong, holds players off really well. He's comfortable with like the more of the, the, the close control kind of, um, of way of playing the game that you might see from Gundogan or, you know, players of that ilk. rather the tight, than the, you know, the tight spaces sort of stuff. Yeah, this, yeah, the tight spaces. Guardiola loves that phrase, doesn't he? That, the sort of tight spaces kind of play that you may not normally see from a younger player in the middle. You might, you know, you might see lots of spraying it about. You might see lots of, um, you know, one touch, quick, immediate passes. But the the kind of close control stuff you might not see as much. I've, in my experience, anyway, this is part of what has has, has impressed me so much with Micah. He can he can pick a pass and he can play balls through lines. You know, onto on on rushing left wingers where he would have been last year that type of thing and that and then again a really good example of this is the recent away psg under 19s youth league game the way that his his background as that kind of inside forward left winger sees him double up with the left winger from that left uh, center midfield uh and also young Rico Lewis for this particular goal tucks in as the central midfielder behind him uh, from from left back, which was another you know another link to this. So if you watch the goal in this, it was a brilliant finish, an almost Yaya esque finish from Shea Charles. Um, but to pull it back a bit, he's he's you know he's got the ball in his own half, Micah. He's turned and he's drove through midfield exactly like you'd see from someone like Gundogan or even Bernardo. He's then played the ball, a, a nice little ball out to Sammy Dozy, underlapped Sammy Dozy, um, or overlapped, I can't even remember now, received it back, and the, the, between the pair of them, they've then worked a beautiful ball out to Shea Charles, who's put it, you know, who's slotted it in, like I say, yeah, This is a just, it's, it, that goal is such a good visual example of what I'm talking about, of how this lad has learnt this position not necessarily his natural position, maybe, I don't know, but he's definitely coming into his own in this role recently. And it's really it's really been uh, quite a uh, quite a revelation to see. Other forwards have been tried in central midfield in the academy setup. I'm thinking of like Oscar Bob um and some others. Uh, but they've never really stood out in this way. Micah looks like he's played there all along and he looks like he might have quite a good future play in this role. Um, like I say, he's been good previously uh, in his in his forward, uh, skillful shoulder dropping roles, but this has been really really encouraging to me. So, I mean, you, you may have noticed those who are more familiar with these players may have noticed the pattern here. 
the Wickham game was amazing for the academy. Um, one, there was one local lad out of the five that started. Now that's not an issue. That's not a problem. Obviously, recruitment yeah. is absolutely crucial for for City's academy. They need to they need to have that quality there playing with them. Apart from anything else, you know, the local lads. But I just wanted to take this opportunity, really, to even even with a you know, kind of earlier take on some of the pro, on, on the uh, the two younger lads' profiles. I wanted to highlight some of the lesser known Mancunian prospects that at the moment that they've got that have got to be fair very bright futures. <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Sean Blinkhorn talking to me about some of the younger players there. Um, Before we move on, Gary, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, your latest piece of work because you've been working closely with Peter Barnes on uh, his biography and he uh, he was a youngster at City, wasn't he? Yeah, very much in in some ways the Phil Foden of his day in that he he sort of was thrust into the the spotlight, um, performed exceptionally well, then was rested by manager Tony Buck um, quite a bit and fans would get frustrated at this because we'd want him to play. Um, And then, you know, he he, he, he he was an England international and he, he was basically... Our yeah, the Phil Foden to some extent, although you know, circumstances a bit different, but the Phil Foden of his day, and he had a great career um, at a number of different clubs, but unfortunately was forced out of City in 1979 when when Malcolm Allison returned and and just basically had a purge and got rid of most of the well, got rid of all the internationals, um, and it started on a downward path. So I've done his biography and. Um, we've done it as a biography because I wanted to make sure we could quote other people about Peter and about his career because we could have easily done a ghost-written biography, but in my opinion, that sort of book um, on Peter wouldn't have been right because he's quite an humble person. It needed to be something that uh, boasted about his career, but also tell, told it as it was. And so that's what we've done. And I would, you know, for any fan who thinks Peter Barnes has been overnamed perhaps but don't know anything about him, in that book, we tell the story of how, city, how city, significant City was in the 1970s when he was first playing for a club. And then we also tell the story of how things fell apart for a club and talk about the 80s when he came back to the club. So it actually sets the scene quite nicely. It explains why, ultimately, we ended up that team that failed for all those years. You know, the, the seeds were set in 1979 and, and it's in that book and it explains it. So, so you know, I'd urge everyone to, uh, well, to, to get older, if you could obviously buy it, but um, just to, to try and read it uh, because it, we, it, it should answer some questions and hopefully it's a good read. Yeah, it's your, it's your second City biography, is it, after Joe Mercer? Yeah, I did a, a biography of Joe Mercer, and um, I've, I I always said when I did Joe Mercer's biography, I would only ever write a book about someone that mattered to me, you know. And I, I did get asked to do a, a few other biographies over the years, but I wanted it to be the right story, and, and Peter's is certainly that. Um, but one thing about Joe Mercer, whilst whilst I'm on actually, on the 18th of November, um, the PFA are unveiling a plaque to Joe Mercer at Ellesmere Port. It's at um, one thirty, I think it is, on the 18th of November, Ellesmere Port, and uh, I'm going to say a few words. Mike Summerby's going to be there. Peter Reed is actually unveiling the plaque. Um, and I think, you know, Joe Mercer is still at the moment our only manager to win a European trophy. You know, he had incredible success as a manager. And I, I think it'd be great if a lot of blues turned out for that one. Yeah. And uh, just finally, as well, Christmas is coming up. Where can people get them if, uh, if they want to have a look at your books? Yeah. Um, probably the best way is to look at um, my website, which is GJ footballarchive.com so gj my initials footballarchive.com and you know you'll find them there find all the details 
Lovely stuff. Uh, right, so we're going to finish this week's show with uh, some listener questions. Get in touch for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, you can also email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, that's exactly what Steve O'Brien has done, uh, and he says, I know that we'll have our days when everything clicks and we destroy the opposition, and that will grind out some squeakers also. But after another two blanks this week, this was sent in after the Palace game, uh, and even allowing for the red card on Saturday and the changed lineup against West Ham on Wednesday, do you agree with me that there's nothing to suggest that this won't continue to happen too often, given our lack of a striker. If so, do you think that when Delap gets fully fit, we should try an extended run with him in the team? Um, Anya, what do you reckon? It's it's a lot of pressure, isn't it, for a young lad to, to, to suddenly be thrown in as City striker there? Yeah, and I just don't know if I see Pep doing it. It's one of those things that I get the vibe from him. He's not quite willing to do it. Obviously, I would love Delap to come back and for him to get that run. And I think he would be really beneficial to the team. And seeing us play with kind of an out-and-out striker would be quite interesting after so long of not having that. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something that I would be wanting to see. And I think it would. I think it would be good. Yeah, Gary, would you... I mean... Uh... It's difficult, isn't it, with young players? Because I remember the Foden stuff and I remember week after week was saying, you know, Foden needs to play more, he needs to play more. And Guardiola was going, no, I, I, like he plays as much as he as he should play right now. Um, which I guess, as Anya says, he, 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 you can't see him just throwing the lap in, can you? No, especially now that, you know, we're out of the League Cup as well, because that's the sort of competition where he could have played him, you know, every game right the way through um, to a final, if you like. Uh, but obviously we're out, so we can't do that now. Um, I suppose there's a chance, you know, in maybe FA Cup, depending on who we draw and so on. But I can't see it happening in the Premier League and I can't see it happening in the Champions League. Uh, as much as I'd like to see him, um, I just can't. And then, of course, there's the January transfer window and you never know what we might do. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of money, but if we do, it's going to be... It's going to be the, the, the striker in it. Yeah, and then I mean the, the other side, Anya. You, you, the, the other part of Steve's question there is: uh, Do you worry that that City are, are firing too many blanks this season in terms of games? It's a it, it doesn't quite. It works out at just under one in three, I think, where they where they fail to score this season. Yeah, that's pretty shocking, especially after you know the seasons we've had recently. I think this was always going to happen as well. Where the striker question came up, Pep knew it was going to happen. And we were, we all would have liked a striker. We all know that we would have done. Um, it pro- it probably will happen again as well. So it's it's managing that and it's working out how we get the best out of the likes of Sterling, Jesus, Foden to get them scoring those goals. Yeah. Quick question to finish. I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll get an answer off each of you. Um, obviously, Conte uh, in at uh, Spurs. Kane not really very happy. Would you go back in January if you if if there was a deal to be had, Anya? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want him at City anymore. Like I think that ship sailed, and I think I'm. I'm confident Kane would like to stay under Conte. I think it gives him the confidence that they could potentially win something. Whether that'll happen, I don't know. But no, I wouldn't like to see Kane at City. Gary, if uh, if Daniel Levy said yes, go on, then I'll accept 120 million. Would you? Uh, would you put the money down? No, I, I agree. It's, it's one of those that um, it should have happened last summer if it was going to happen. Now that because of the way it went, no, forget it. Um, I, I, Kane should have gone. Kane should have left, um, and I'd leave him there. Let him let him suffer at Spurs. <laughs> yeah, don't don't sign contracts that you can't honour. That's the that's the moral of that story. Uh, okay. And that brings us to an end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests Gary James. Thanks, thanks for having us, and Anya Hudson. Thank you. 
Uh, if you don't want the fun to end, though, and you'd like to hear some more City Chat, then for just £2 a month on our Patreon page, you can have an extra half hour every week. And it works out at about 50p a show. And you'll be supporting the podcast by doing that as well. The bonus shows are a combination of new formats, including one called City Heaven, City Hell. That's where a City fan and an opposition fan guest pick a good and a bad game each between the sides. Uh, Gary, you've done one of them. Uh, you did it against uh, uh, the Charlton one. Um, they're good fun, aren't they? They are, but again, you, you it made me realise how old I was when you said <laughs> you weren't even alive for some of those games. So yeah, they are, it is good fun, and it's a really good listen as well if you if you listen to it. I, you know, it's great to hear sort of people talking about games that matter to them. That you, in some cases you think I don't remember that game, I don't remember that, but it is superb. Yeah, I love yeah, it. It's uh, it's brought out some bitter rivalries as well, so that's good. Um, the other new show is a type called the Games That Made Me. That's where City fans have been picking the five games that shaped them as a supporter of the club. That's what's coming up on Monday so do check that out patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast I'll be back next week to review whatever happens at Old Trafford this weekend fingers crossed for a city win see you then that was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast